Hello and welcome to What A World Podcast, episode number three. In this episode, I speak with Ernest Chapman and talk about his five M's for personal transformation. That's music, marketing, magic, martial arts, and masonry. Thank you for listening and find all the episodes plus my personal blog at whataworldpodcast.com. Here we go. So I'm sitting here with Ernest Chapman. He is a musician, an artist, and teacher. He's developed a teaching system called the Magic Music Method. But more recently, he's become a brand consultant and marketing whiz here in Nashville. In addition to all this, he is a philosophical thinker, a writer, and alchemist. Ernest is also a 32nd degree Knight Commander of the Court of Honor, Scottish Rite Freemason. He has shown a deep dedication in his life to the search of truth and transformation. Welcome, Ernest. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I know yeah. you're busy. What an intro. <laughs> yeah. How do I live up to that? I think you already have, right? <laughs> um, so let me, I just want to dive straight in because I know that you've got a uh, limited time. Um, when we uh, were talking a little bit before, you mentioned the five M's. Yeah. And um, so do you want to talk a little bit about what's the first M? Yeah. So, I mean, I can just kind of run it down, but... Throughout the last, I'd say, 15 or 20 years, well, really my whole life, but some of these have come to the surface over time. They've, they've come to me through various transformations of my own, but the, the kind of five M's in my life right now are music, masonry, marketing, um, magic, uh, yeah. and uh, now I'm blanking. <laughs> the hell what was martial the arts. yeah martial arts oh, yeah <laughs> yeah put me on the spot i can't even remember my own five m's <laughs> so music magic masonry martial arts and marketing mm-hmm. um all of those things revolve around one single concept which is the art of transformation yeah so that's what alchemy is some people get confused yep. by alchemy because they take it literal and they think oh yeah you're some fool who wants to turn lead into gold yeah and um <laughs> You know, the only way that I'm aware of that you can turn lead into gold is by splitting the atom and creating a nuclear explosion. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, very expensive. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, I don't have the cash flow to support that kind of activity, so right. I'm sorry, but we can't do that. <laughs> not yet. Um, I'm not really interested in that that side of things, but... Uh, um, but yeah, so the, the, those are the five M's, and, and in my life, it all started with music. Okay. So everything was an extension of music. Um and everything became an analogy for everything else as the, the other layers got added. Um, yeah. But what music was doing for me was putting me in a trance. At a very young age, as a child, okay. I was put in a trance by music. I was I grew up surrounded by music. And um, my, one of my first memories of, of music that, that really was like a life-changing event was going and seeing Skirmerhorn conduct the Nashville Symphony. I don't know if you ever yes. had the yeah, distinct there. honor of seeing him conduct the symphony before he passed, but I did. No, I didn't get um, to see him. No, but yeah. So, um, and this was in the eighties. I was born in 81. I guess it was probably 85 or 86 when we saw him conducting. I think it was Beethoven. See, I don't really remember. I like to think it was Beethoven's fifth, yeah. which is a little cheesy. Cause it's like, you ask a piano student, like, what's your favorite thing? And they're like, for Elise. <laughs> yeah. And then all the teachers secretly hate for Elise. Yeah. But, um, I walked out of that symphony and the music was still playing um, in my head. So then it was still playing the next day. 
And then it was like still, and, and I had been developing this inner sense of rhythm and pitch and this inner sense of being hooked on an experience and in, in, in a trance, mm-hmm. um, entranced. Yeah. And, um, so that was the anchor for a lot of things. And as I went through, as, as I've gone through my life, I've always returned to it. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that, um, uh, when we were talking over text, yeah, you, you, Spelled transformation with yeah. trance. Yeah. Uh, with a C, a C instead of an S. Transformation, which is the formation of a trance, yeah. which is what is required to focus attention. Yeah. So uh, everything is about trance states. And that's that's where magic is relevant. You can spell magic M-A-G-I-C, and you can talk about stage magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an entrancing event. That's a, a the art of illusion, misdirection for entertainment purposes. Yeah. Um, you can also spell it with a K, and then you can be talking about uh, the art of causing change to occur in conformity with one's will. Yeah. Which can lead you down some pretty weird roads if you're not careful. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but um, the common denominator there is the formation of trance, or as I like to say, trance formation. Yeah. Which is also common to marketing. Yeah. And uh, if you look at masonry, masonry is is a a system of self transformation, spelled T R A N S F O R M A T I O N. But um, there are trance states involved in any kind of ritual work. Mm-hmm. So it's allowing you to access some deeper thing yeah. and pull up something from under the surface where the where the you know you see the tip of the iceberg. Like what's under the surface? Go under there and pull something up that changes things that actually makes something better about you. Um, it's almost like a psychic imprint that gets formed. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the things that I'm interested in is, um, what initiation does to Mm -hmm. people psychically or psychologically or spiritually, which all seems like kind of the same thing to me. It's flipping on an on switch. Yeah. It's the first step. And then, the the real transformation is what you do with the system that you receive. Mm-hmm. So if I buy a piece of software and I have to download it and I download it, um, then great. You just downloaded Sibelius or you just downloaded your sample library for logic. Yeah. Congratulations. Like, nice job. You've, mm-hmm. You have That's pro tools or you got logic over there on that computer. Yeah. Like, nice. You've been initiated. Yeah. So now for the rest of your life, what are you going to make with it? Mm-hmm. that's what, where the rubber meets the road. Some people, uh, you'll hear them say, you get out of it what you put into it. And I find that to be true about everything. Yeah. Um, so initiation is just the beginning of something greater. And so at the beginning of the threshold of uh, crossing through a doorway of any kind in, in anyone's life, there are key things that we have to do as humans, as people, to anchor our awareness into a, a, like a functional relationship with what's happening. Yeah. And the way we do that is through symbolism. Okay. So an initiation is just the introduction of a new set of symbolism that then you have to go spend a lot of time interpreting and figuring out what it really means. Initiation is just having the dream. And then when you wake up, you write it down and you remember it. And then it, it's, it's all for naught if it isn't, if it's not activated. Yeah. Yeah, and then after that comes a conscious uh, intention mm-hmm. to act on that initiation, basically. Yeah, uh, but it has to be functional. Yeah. So it has to be able to it has to be able to land somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. So otherwise, it's just a whole bunch of interesting thoughts. That's where martial arts is important. So for me, at least, um, if you're in a in a in a relationship with a, a great martial arts teacher, then one of the things you'll encounter at some point is like whether or not a technique works under stressful conditions. If it's if you're tested in different ways, yeah. and either your body knows what to do instinctively because you've received the training or the initiation you've gone through and done the repetitions you've learned whatever the system happens to be mm-hmm. either you can do the movements or not yeah black and white yeah <laughs> use what you've learned or not yeah it doesn't matter what philosophical idea you're thinking of if there's a fist moving towards your face either you get hit <laughs> or you deflect it or you move out of the way or you something else or whatever i mean there's not too many options in that situation yeah but the the idea being initiation philo- uh, philosophical ponderings symbolism archetypes all that stuff is great um but what are you going to do when you're holding your your 6 week old baby in your hands and it's the first time the kid's ever gotten sick and you don't know whether or not you should bring it to the hospital. Hmm. That matters more. Yeah. Okay, so how do you anchor into something that visceral with all the the high-level philosophical stuff? Yeah. That's where you're going to change because you're going you're gonna to say, you know, uh, I had an experience uh, about a year ago at this point um, where all of a sudden the situation changed and I had to pick my kid up from school every day. Um, he got kicked out of school because he punched another kid in the face. Well, well, that happens. You know. <laughs> yeah. So I would have handled it differently than the way the teachers handled it. Yeah. But you know, um, they're doing the best they can with what they know and what they have to to work with. So that's it, fine. But um, the the bottom line was you had some four year olds getting in playground fights, and one of them gets kicked out of school, and 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 it's like mm. I've got to go pick this kid up from school every day now. Yeah. Well, what was I doing at the time? I was teaching music lessons from 3 to 8 p.m. during the after-school hours. Can't do that all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, and we really looked at the options, and it was like, there isn't another option. Well, for the last couple of years leading up to this, I'd been building a whole other parallel business, working in the mornings, doing branding, doing marketing consulting, doing digital strategy, doing all this really interesting stuff that I actually learned because I had created a music method that I wanted to promote and I wasn't going to wait around for someone else to like come save the day. And, you know, there's this, this way of thinking that people my age, particularly that are, um, I'm, I'm 38. So I'm old enough to know what it felt like to think that if you did certain things that you might get a record deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when people wanted of, record deals? Yeah. Yeah. When it actually paid. But I'm young enough to know that that's all BS and mm-hmm. it's not really, you know, uh, I'm young enough to understand how the market has shifted. And I knew that 10 years ago too, but, um, but there's some patterns that are hard to drop, you know? Mm-hmm. So I went into this, this music method creation phase about 2013, 2014, um, out of, partial necessity, partial inspiration, partial saying to myself, okay, we've, we're, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a kid. That's an initiation, by the way. (laughs) We're going to have a kid. And, uh, at some point I won't be able to work the three to eight hour PM afternoon hours because I'm going to need to be dad. Yeah. And I don't, I can't be hanging out with someone else's kids, teaching them how to play piano 
and just while my kid and like hire a babysitter, like, and not ever see my kid, like that doesn't work. So that's to me, that's martial arts. That's encountering a black and white reality. Mm -hmm. And now what are you going to do? And you fall back on your training. Well, what training do you have? You know, what initiations have you gone through? Yeah. What systems have you learned? Um, what books have you read? What philosophies have you studied? And out of all those things, which ones of which which of those things are actually going to inform a real decision right now that mm -hmm. you have to make because you're holding a six week old baby in your hand and it's sick and you might have to take it to the hospital. Now some some people are going to say, "Oh, you're comparing apples and oranges." Okay, in some ways I am. I'll admit that I'm I'm jumping around a little bit, but I'm doing it to start a conversation and to shake things up because. I'm imagining you're probably going to have some questions about like, well, how the hell does all this stuff connect? Mm -hmm. um, because one of the things I do is I connect dots that people don't see the connections with. Yeah. So if I'm going to spend a lot of time internalizing a, a system of self-transformation, I want that to work for me in a lot of different situations. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so you look at what I was doing during the mornings a year ago and that grew. Mm -hmm. It was a seed I planted in 2013 that's been slowly growing. Started out with me trying to figure out how to promote my own music method materials. In the process, I had a lot of pivots. I realized, oh, this isn't a method. It's a supplement. Works yeah. with any other method. Yeah. I, I realized a lot of things, you know. And as I went through those learning curves, and then I learned how to build websites, I learned how to do branding, I learned a lot of digital strategies, people started asking me to do that stuff for them. Yeah. Slowly over time, that took over to the point where now that's mainly what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right when I stepped away from this teaching full-time gig, um, and I flipped, it sort of feels like going on sabbatical, a really awesome client came to me and asked me to help them with a music education app oh, wow. that keeps me directly plugged into the music teaching world. <laughs> And I'm, you know, I'm like making lesson plans and I'm, st I'm still involved yeah. in that world. And I guess the bigger picture that I'm trying, the picture I'm trying to paint here is one of, uh, synchronicity yeah. and interconnectedness I was say. <laughs> and cross, uh, cross disciplinary thinking. Mm -hmm. I went to Hampshire college. We were taught to think like this. Uh, you didn't just get a degree in economics. You got a degree in the economics of DIY culture as it relates to uh, post-colonial African diaspora in Colombia in the mid-1970s or something. You yeah. know, and, and then like you'd go learn the languages and go do a semester in another country. And, you know, you get those kind of students that are thinking like Renaissance thinkers. Yeah. They are, they are in five categories simultaneously. And if you're not careful, people have no idea what you're talking about, which mm -hmm. is probably happening right now for some of the people listening to this. Yep. And that's actually right where I want you to be. Yep. Because now you're going to ask really interesting questions. You're in liminal space. Yes. Where that, yeah. And that's where things happen. Yeah, that's where and, transformation starts. Yeah, yeah. If you you have all the answers, if you figured it all out, if you're not thrown off balance, if you're not a little bit confused, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> you definitely have to be thrown off balance to to find your balance, really mm -hmm. hit your stride again. Um, how does that? How would that look for look like for people who just seem like they're stuck? Mm -hmm. Um, like if they're people that feel like they want to change, but they just don't really know, know how they have to find the pain. 
Find the pain. Yeah. Okay. And then they have to, to be able to not want it anymore. Yeah. Uh, badly enough to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's that's kind of where uh, anger kind of gets useful. It could be useful. Um, I've, I've spent yeah. most of my life kind of avoiding anger, which is not super healthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but recently figured out that, that there's a use for it. Uh, whereas before I didn't see any use in it, but the energy that you get from something like anger mm. can fuel the fire of change, basically. That's how you handle the resources that you have. Yeah. So you're managing feelings that can be pointed at a given outcome. What do you think is the most useful, like, not emotion, but what's what's what are the tools that people can use to really affect change? Well, I think we have a natural defense mechanism of avoiding being aware of the pain that we're in. Yeah. So there's a little bit of coping that happens. And if you're not careful, it can allow you to settle for something that's not good enough. Yeah. So how do you overcome that is my question. I would ask answer the question with a question, and then I'll just tell you about myself. Um, when I first started getting into training, uh, doing martial arts, mm-hmm. I was pretty out of shape. Okay. So... Uh, I remember driving past this one place a number of times and thinking to myself, I really, I should go in there. I want to go in. And it, it was partially to get in shape because I knew that there's no way I'd be able to follow along with the crazy stuff they're doing yeah. if I'm, you know. Just walking in. <laughs> at, yeah, if, if I'm a mess, right? Yeah. You can't do that. You can't show up to a hop keto class hungover and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, out of it out of shape and yeah and i mean i guess some people can but you know you might get hurt right yeah. like so i remember this moment it was about 2008 i think late 2008 and i just i felt my body move the car and slow down and pump the brakes and turn into the parking lot yeah i didn't know what i was walking into <laughs> but what was going on was i had a lot of emotional issues that were leading me into a lifestyle that was not sustainable, that, yeah. that was um, unhealthy. You know, I was drinking too much. I wasn't eating good food. I wasn't getting exercise. Like, those are all the things that if you do that for long enough, um, you, you, it's probably being driven by something else that has to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. But it starts to create its own negative downward spiral. Yeah, back. definitely. Um, for me personally, making a decision to go into a place that was uncomfortable and be challenged and just do whatever they said. Okay. Yeah. And submit myself to whatever and, and, and put on a white belt yeah. and just get my ass kicked. Get initiated. <laughs> that was an initiation. Yeah. Um, you know, even when, even at the black belt level, the black belt is just an initiation into the rest of your life it's mm-hmm. just all right you've learned the fundamentals yeah now it's time to actually really work yeah because yeah that's not some trophy that you like you're not done no you're <laughs> yeah. just getting started and yeah. um so i think this is a way of me answering your question saying i had to find teachers who would make me uncomfortable 
who would push me off the cliff. Yeah. Um, I'm always looking for masters or grandmasters. Mm-hmm. As my level of mastery in certain areas increases, I'm always looking for someone who's way ahead of me, who yeah. I can show them what I'm doing and have them completely kick my ass yeah. and show me, you know. And the other thing is, if there's no stakes, if there's no, um, if, if there's nothing that, that could go horribly wrong or like, it's like when people quit smoking and there's that, that money thing that they do, you know what I'm talking about, where they, they put money in some kind of platform. I forget if it's like a, a digital platform. They put money in it and then they get the money back if they quit and if they don't, they lose it. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. It's the concept I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Like if you were trying to quit smoking I, and, and you really wanted to do it, I could say, okay, sign a contract and you will give me $100 every week that you continue smoking. Yeah. And we're going to actually link it into your bank account and it's just going to be drafted out. After a few weeks, you're going to get sick of that. Yeah. <laughs> and now if you will, if you willingly signed up for that, that would be you saying with your actions that you didn't quite have the willpower to just do it in a vacuum, that you needed some kind of mechanism to push you over the edge yeah. to get you to that next level. Um, so I, I, I did that. I've always done that at different times in my life when I needed to have a shift or a change or a transformation, you can't have an initiation the way I'm talking about without an initiator. Yeah. And who is that person? It's not you. Yeah. Yeah. It it's someone else. Uh-huh. It has to be a mentor. And that mentor is someone who's gone through the hero's journey, mm-hmm. who's gone into the abyss. That's Gandalf after he comes back and he goes from gray to white. Yeah. That person who's done the thing that you want to do. And you have to be able to follow a leader. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just kind of making it up. So um, I've been through that in these different categories, actually. And that's probably one of the reasons why the, the five M's are all, um, you know, I, c- I could say you know, who the mentors are for each one. Uh, there's been a lot of mentors for music. Um, Matt Rawlings was one of the most important ones in my life. Um, he took me under his wing, taught me how to make a record, uh, went out to L.A., spent months out there, uh, made the first Team Illuminati record with him. Nice. Yeah. You know, But I've had great teachers. Uh, Karen Krieger over at Blair was a piano teacher for me. Uh, she was my first piano teacher. Um, and then... Uh, you know, Jay Play at Hampshire College was was a music teacher that kind of brought me back from the abyss of social science okay. and brought me back into the humanities when I was trying to, to fix the world by not looking at the, the wooden bean in my eye, but looking in the splinters in the world's mm-hmm. eyes. And he brought me back into music, um, which ironically can really connect you with the pain of the world in a transformative way. So you don't, it didn't, I didn't really go anywhere, but... You know, so in the music world, those those kind of mentors, there's been a lot of them. In martial arts, it's been Chris Garland, who is Dojin M um, yeah. of Samrang Do. So if you Google that, you'll find all kinds of interesting stuff. Uh, he's a direct lineage successor of Jihan Jae, who is a Dojin M, uh, who's, there's, there's, he's named Hapkido. And, uh, if you Google that, you'll also find some interesting debates and conversations about who named Hapkido. I'm not going to go into that right now, but, um, needless to say, the lineage is, is very strong there. And yeah. it's an incredible honor to be able to, to study with such a high caliber. Great. Yeah. He's a grandmaster. Yeah. And wow. so 
I would, I would never have learned the things that I'm learning on my own. I, I need an initiator. I need a mentor to do that in marketing. Um, it's been Mark Montgomery, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's been the guy like he, he took me on as an apprentice and just put me through a lot of training over the last, I'd say three years, three or four years at this point. Um, yeah. those are the kind of mentors that I look for people that have done huge yeah. stuff <laughs> yeah. for many years before I was even aware of it. And I want to learn from them and I want to be humble and study and, and, and come to them with that kind of, that kind of mindset. I'd say with magic, it's Deepak Chopra. And, and I mean mm-hmm. magic in the sense of using mindset and trance and meditation and hypnosis to change my inner state. Yeah. Uh, let's say for about 13 years, once or twice a year, I would go and play music at his workshops, mm-hmm. do the meditations, take the workshops, hang out, get to get to be friends with his staff and, you know, get to know all those people. That's awesome. And it was an incredible thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's one of the mentors. And then with, with masonry, it's, it's been all the brothers in Nashville who I've been able to, to go through those degrees with and learn from and sit in a lodge with and to, to, to be able to sit in a room with a whole bunch of different guys from all walks of life that are like all gathered together to improve themselves through this set of rituals and teachings and practices and, um, and pass it on to another generation. Mm. That's a powerful experience. Yeah. Very powerful. And and there's a lot of opportunities for mentors and for training. But the common denominator with all of this is I didn't just make this up. Mm-hmm. I I went and found people who had mastered these different things and sat at their feet. Yeah. And I continue to do so. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that uh, one of the things that's another thing that I feel like is kind of missing from our culture is that the whole culture of uh, of mentoring and and having a mentor. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like a lot of kids these days, uh, even in my generation, and um, we never really looked for mentors a lot. And why not? Uh, because we had the internet, <laughs> I'm guessing. I don't really know. Uh, or maybe there's just a distrust of older people. I'm not really sure. Don't trust anyone over 30, right? Yeah, uh, that whole thing. Uh, and, you know, maybe that is something that is that every generation goes through and then has to get over, and then they figure out that they need mentors. Um, but, um, but, yeah, that's, that's great. I think... Uh, Aiming that high for a mentor is probably really key. You don't want somebody that's just yeah. a step above you. You want somebody who's a mountaintop and you're down in the valley kind of looking up. But be careful because there might be someone who's just a few steps ahead of you that will teach you an incredible amount. Yeah. That will get you up to the level where you're ready for the grandmaster. Mm-hmm. So, okay. for example... Um, when I went in and, and started studying Hapkido, Samrongdo is is the particular school with Chris Garland. I had already spent some years training in Aikido. I never went above uh, like the first level in it, right? I, I but I had some fundamentals in place, and so you know I could have started from zero with Grandmaster Garland, and he uh, he can 
take you all the way through everything. Right. That that's, yeah. but at the same time, like I had already studied, uh, with Spartan sensei in the nineties and then, okay. and I was way into skateboarding. I had built my legs up quite a bit in skateboarding. I knew how to take a fall. I knew how to roll. I had break falls. Like I had a, a lot of the, the sort of basic stuff. Um, and those are the things that, that, if you're not careful, if you neglect the fundamentals, like when you get the fundamentals wrong, you, as you get through higher levels, they all, you always come back to the fundamentals. Like I broke my collarbone a couple of years ago. Hmm. And the reason I broke my collarbone was because I, I fell the wrong way. Now, why did I fall the wrong way? I fell the wrong way because my foot slipped out from under me. Why did my foot slip out from under me? Because I tied my uh, hakama on the wrong way. It's just oh. a tiny little mistake that happened 30 minutes before my accident. Yeah. It was my fault. And it was the most white belt beginner thing you could possibly think of. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, and you only got to do it once. So, you know, who, who's two or three steps ahead of you that also has a white belt in something who could teach you a few things that if you really mastered it, like when you're in, when you're with the grand master, they don't have to waste any time reminding yeah. you because those fundamentals are solid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And apply that to every field. Mm -hmm. So there may be opportunities for training, mentoring, and transformation that are right in front of you, even if you don't have someone on the level of some of the, the teachers that I just described. Yeah. Um, and that's a good thing, yeah. you know, but I think sometimes people have an all or nothing attitude. So I don't want to be encouraging that. Because there may be just a few steps to to get you ready for initiation. Yeah. That you have to take before you can knock on the door. Yeah. I know that um, one of the biggest things for most uh, cultural initiations as well as Freemasonry is uh, coming to terms with your own death. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you? Th what does that really do for somebody uh, when they? really understand that there's their time is limited well i dealt with that um early on my dad died when i was 12 so in some ways any any time i've encountered that kind of symbolism in other places it's like a familiar thing where i'm going okay yeah uh well i can anchor that back to the moment of his last breath and i was holding his hand and i felt his spirit leave his body oh. and i and i was 12 years old and then i was like now what yeah. And you know that, that thing that happens when you're kind of awkwardly sort of hanging around after something has happened? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be awkward to be in a social situation where, um, you know, or you finish the gig and you're wrapping up your cables and mm -hmm. someone's talking to you and then they don't know if they should maybe <laughs> leave you alone or linger. You, you, the linger effect. Yeah. yeah. So now, uh, now imagine that feeling, but now it's with a dead person. Yeah. <laughs> I got to do that when I was 12 Man. with my dad. That was crazy. So, so those kinds of symbolic experiences and plenty of people have way worse stuff than that. So don't take it the wrong way. That's, I'm not even complaining. I'm just saying I have an anchor point for that, which led to a great period of transformation in my life yeah. where I had to figure out a whole lot of stuff that, um, he would have maybe showed me, yeah. you know? Yeah. So speaking of mentors at that time, Ronnie Crowell showed up in my life, um, as like 
like an uncle because <laughs> it's kind of a sub a substitute dad sub sub dad yeah you know and he was friends with my dad and and my dad actually kind of helped set some of that up as he was dying oh, wow. and so like rodney stepped up to the plate and and helped me through a really hard time uh as a young teenager yeah um so uh, anyway if if you're talking about my own like th pondering your own death I think that's really helpful to do because it, it makes you question, well, what am I doing right now? I, if I don't have that much time left, like if I know there's a limited amount of time, but, but I also, you know, you think of it as an expiration date and like, once it's over, that's all that is, that's all that happened. Yeah. So, so that's the record. You made the record. Now it's out. Now you can't change. You can't do an overdub. You can't redo that take. Yeah. It's too late. That's all she wrote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's going to get on the final mix? Mm -hmm. That's your life. What's yeah. getting in the final mix? I did a, a fantastic uh, eight-day-long residential retreat, ther therapeutic uh, retreat called the Hoffman Process. Okay. Highly recommend checking it out. Hoffman, okay. Hoffman Process, Hoffman Quadrinity Process. And it talks, uh, they, they go into it. There's so much to, to explore there. Uh, it would take hours to get into it. But one of the, one of the things that... Um, that happens is you, you have this, there's like a ritualized imagining of your own funeral if everything went wrong. Okay. And they, and they guide you through it. And it's like, you're in a session and there's like, you're following like in a group, full, you know, so like, Gets there's intense. no way you could do it for yourself. Like just with what I just told you, like you'd yeah. have to actually go through. Cause they, they take you up to that point by going through a whole lot of different things. Yeah. So Going in an, in the world of your imagination to the moment of your death and then beyond and, and seeing all the people and then, you know, your subconscious knows the truth. You know if you screwed over that person. You know if you stole from somebody. You know, like, go through spell 125 of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Read it. Mm -hmm. Read the reverse confession. You know whether yeah. or not you've done good or bad things. You know whether or not you've followed the law. Mm-hmm. And yet still gotten away with some bad stuff. You yeah. know all of that. <laughs> Everybody knows everything. We're just playing games on the surface. Mm -hmm. The icebergs are connected. Yeah. So if you imagine that moment, and then you imagine, well, what, what are the, who are the people in my life that know me? What are they going to say if I don't clean stuff up? Yeah. And then you really go through that. It, I mean, it's devastating. <laughs> absolutely devastating to think you know what if you have kids and they hate you mm -hmm. go there worst case scenario all the worst things that you like what if i never change what if i never overcome these problems i have whatever it is what if i make myself sick with my lifestyle yeah and then die young and then my kids realize that i did it to myself mm-hmm what are they going to say at my funeral? What if there's no inhibitions? What if, what if they're spitting on my coffin? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and it goes, and it gets worse. Uh-huh. Yeah. At the end of it, you got a nice little list of stuff to go clean up. Yeah. And if you have any self-awareness, some of it will get cleaned up. Yeah. So yeah. That, the Hoffman process, that's, uh, you know, trademark, copyright.com. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of initiatory experience is so powerful. Yeah. And to seek those things out, you don't have to go to an eight-day residential retreat to get that, but you might have to find the right 
the right group of people that are tuned in or tapped in, you know? Yeah. To, to, to be able to really explore that. But, but then it's not just about having some words in your mind. Now, what is it going to make you do? Mm-hmm. What are you going to change? Yeah. Are you going to get up an hour earlier every day and go to the gym? Are you going to stop smoking or are you at that? That's cheesy. That sounds like some guy in a bathrobe that's like, get these kids off my lawn. <laughs> like you fill in the blank. What is it? What, what sucks right now? Yeah. What do you know is a coping mechanism for dealing with some emotional disturbance that was relevant a few years ago. That's out. La- that's, that's like a, a, a cousin that was sleeping on the couch in your place and it's time for them to leave and they won't leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are those patterns? Yeah. So to me, um, transformation is about challenging myself Mm -hmm. to, to identify these things and actually take real action and really change it. Yeah. 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 We're really good at isolating ourselves and Uh (laughs) just hiding away from the world. Well, technology enables the isolation. Yeah. And then there's also ways that technology enables the connection. You Mm -hmm. know, look at what we're doing right now. Yeah. Someone might listen to this and reach out to one of us and receive some kind of knowledge or information that they take action on that changes their life. Yeah. You know, um, someone might listen to this and be motivated or inspired to do something without reaching out to us. You know, mm-hmm. they might go so. have a transformation of some kind and then build some kind of teaching around it that grows into a school or some kind of group. It could be a virtual group. It yeah. could be, you know, and in person, yeah. it could be anything. Yeah. I mean, like, what if everything burned? What if everything was destroyed? And a small group of recordings survived. And this was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Marcus Aurelius and you're, you're writing in your diary, are you really thinking someone's going to read this in 2,000 years and it's going to transform their life? Maybe. Uh, I've read meditations, so I should probably be able to remember whether or not he mentioned that possibility. (laughs) But what if you lived every moment in your life as if the potential existed, not just for us doing this recording, but for the people listening to it? What if you lived every moment in your life as if someone else was watching you and they were going to copy you? Yeah. And they could, you could give them something to copy that could literally save their life or change the world in some way. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing to have that possibility. And, but it's also kind of for a lot of people, it's kind of out of reach because they're Mm -hmm. so used to isolating themselves. And Mm -hmm. I mean, social media allows you to be isolated as much as you want and also connected as much as you want. uh, Yeah. Which is such a weird dichotomy <laughs> well whether you yeah you can create a lot of the of the elements of your reality with your mindset yeah so that isolated mindset is powerful and self-sustaining mm-hmm. you can keep creating that if you want to yeah you just hide away in a hole until you die yeah yeah um well uh one thing that i'm i try and ask uh, everybody is um, and you might have already talked about it. Uh, what What is one of the most major paradigm shifts that you've experienced in your life? 
Well, I, I have mentioned a few things that that would answer that. Yeah. Um, I think becoming a father is, mm. is the becoming a parent. Uh, because it's not about me anymore. Yeah. That's been the biggest one. And that that's been the one that allowed me to tap into the parts of my dad who passed away that had been sort of sitting on the side dormant. Mm. But I had been I was listening for all those twelve years. Like there's a lot that was just that's there that's latent. Yeah. So activating latent superpowers through having no other choice because the survival of your family depends on it. That's that's a paradigm shift. Yeah. And some people can handle that really well and other people have a lot of trouble with that. Yeah. You know, so, some people run away from it. Yeah. And they can become depressed and yeah. suicidal sometimes, yeah. Yeah, some some people really struggle with that and and I can understand why. Mm-hmm. Um I think that's also where uh initiatory experiences that that train and program and structure the consciousness, the the working functional beliefs and consciousness of the person can be really useful Yeah, because you have something to fall back on. Okay. You have an operating system that's going on in the background the whole time. Yeah. But, um, but so having that structure in place then creates a kind of relaxed confidence, which, mm-hmm is also another way to be de-escalating and yeah. to not be a target and to not be interesting to someone who wants to start trouble. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting little <laughs> catch 22. Yeah. Um, the, going through the kind of training that Freemasonry uh, provides has been something that's helped sort of define how to be a solid person in, okay. in ways that are articulated clearly. Yeah. It's not just a bunch of random stuff that happens by accident, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's all kinds of frameworks and scripts and uh, symbols to tie and attach things to that, that, that you can fall back on. Yeah. So that when things get crazy, you're not just making it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's already a set. I mean, in, yeah. In regards to that, it's been thousands of years of <laughs> right. refining and right. and symbolism but the paradigm shift is is for me is is uh going from theory to practical that's what i mean by so until i had a kid all of this stuff was theoretical and it was super interesting it was cool and yeah i was an adult paid rent and had a bank account and you know like functioned Mm -hmm. right yeah but um but there were certain things that that i could do before that I can't, couldn't really do anymore. So there was a before and mm-hmm. an after. So to me, a paradigm shift is when your whole world is transformed. Yeah. So um, in some ways, the initiatory experiences are practicing for the moment of truth. Yeah. When the world happens to you. Yeah. And reality really kicks in. Because when you're, when you're in a ritual and when you're in an initiatory experience, you're not in the world. Mm-hmm. You're in another space. It's yeah. a sacred space. Sacred That's space. why it's a sacred space. Yeah. You're training. You're practicing for something else. Yeah. So that operating system is installed. It's updated. It's tweaked. It's refined. You go back and do it again. And then you become the person helping the other people receive the information. Yeah. And then you see it from a different angle. And then you see it enough times and 
and it starts to just become automatic and then the world happens to you and you, you have a reaction that's different than you would have had. Yeah. So one last question, uh, is there any kind of life philosophy that you feel like the world should hear that you've learned in your life? Well, I think, um, tell, tell me what the outcome needs to be for that philosophy. Cause that could be, that, that could be going a bunch of different ways. Yeah. Uh, what I'm looking for is, is there a philosophy that you feel like the world needs to hear in order to make it a better place? So let's walk backwards from make it a better place. How do you make the world a better place? Um, you have to do that by inspiring and giving structure and giving motivation to people to be better people. Yeah. So what's the philosophy of self-improvement? Um, but if you refer back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you, you can't really get to that if you're starving. Yeah. So then there has to be a, a way of accounting for the inequities of the world. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you have a philosophy for the rich and a philosophy for the poor. Yeah. And then the cycle never stops. Okay. So I think it would, it would be a question of giving people access to philosophies of self-improvement and self-transformation. Yeah. Within, within a context where they're not starving. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. that's hard. That is hard. I don't know how to do that. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a, a seismic shift that has to happen for that to even be possible. Because a lot of the high, quote-unquote, high-level philosophies of the world have been developed by the, the rulers of the world. Yeah. They've been developed over many thousands of years in royal courts and, you know, d inside the castle walls. Um, but then also outside. I mean, you, you get... The Spartans, you know, like the, yeah. they survived all kinds of you know, yeah. badasses, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you have to be in somewhat of a comfortable spot to start thinking. I mean, you can't yeah. have the fight or flight thing going on and also be philosophizing. <laughs> but like if, if you're thinking about, well, how do you like save the world or have have a better world? You know, there's a lot of things that have to be addressed. I mean, look at Nashville right now. I mean, there, there's a lot of problems in Nashville, but compared to a lot of cities in the world, we're like top 1% of 1%. Yeah. Think about that. It's, it's <laughs> like, But then when we look at the problems in Nashville, transportation, housing, education, you know, skyrocketing costs, uh, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of like nuts and bolts, sort of bread and butter issues that, that are education. Did I say education? Um, that you can't even get to the to the altar. You can't even get to the point where we're even having the conversation because you're like trying to hand a copy of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations to someone who can't read. Yeah. So you have to have the, all the fundamentals in place. <laughs> so the philosophy has to account for that, and if it doesn't, then it will only remain in small amount of hands. Yeah. Able to be activated by a small amount of people and. Maybe that's a law of physics. I don't know. I hope not. Yeah. Um, but until the Industrial Revolution, there was, um, as, as brutal as life has always been, there was a some, somewhat of an equilibrium that um, 
the excesses of humanity didn't threaten the entire survival of all life on earth. Mm-hmm. But now our excesses do threaten it. Yeah. So in the prior context, it was possible to have philosophical sort of exclusive clubs of people that, that maintain and kept and held on. It's like the pyramids, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it was like in ancient Egypt, but I would imagine that the, the high priesthood and all, you know, I probably said that wrong, you know, but like the, the priesthoods, the, the sort of high level people, they, they were probably having different conversations than like the people that were laboring in the fields. Yeah. I'm guessing again, not a history expert, but, (laughs) and that like went on for a while and see what I mean? Yeah. But like now it's a matter of life and death for all of humanity, I think. Mm -hmm. So how do we get the perennial wisdom into the hands of people who are starving. Well, they're not even going to be able to receive it. Yeah. So I think, I think I had to answer your question with a question. So how can we convert the perennial wisdom into something that can be received and acted upon by people who are starving? Yeah. And, and yeah. get them out of the situation that they're in. Um, there's some structural things that have to be addressed. Yep. Again, don't have the answers. But I think we have to ask the right questions. Yeah. Because if we sit around and talk about philosophy all day long, when is the world going to happen to us to make us put it into action? That's what I was talking about with my own transformations. And you, you asked me what my paradigm shift was. And having a kid was was the shift. Yeah. And, and there is that moment when you're holding it and you don't know if you should bring it to the hospital because you don't really know how to do this. Mm-hmm. So... At that moment, there's mental pruning. There's neurological pruning. I'm deleting information I don't need to make that decision. So all that extra stuff that didn't really matter anyway just gets thrown away. Yeah. It's a bottleneck. Uh What gets through it? And having been through that, a lot of cool stuff gets through that, actually. Yeah. (laughs) When you have the peripherals kind of like you said, deleted. Yeah. There's all the good stuff can come in and are filtered through. So my, my teacher says, uh, swordsmanship is black and white. You either get cut or you cut. All right. Yeah. So when the world happens to you, a lot of the, the shades of gray disappear. Yeah. But we don't want to throw away that spectrum though. So there's a lot of paradox in catch 22. I think that's why, that's why Zen has its place. Yeah, well, duality is, is what reality is. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. you have to have a, the darkness to recognize the light and vice versa. But you have to not be dead to see the darkness and the light. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> you got to be able to eat. And <laughs> well, um, I can't leave that alone. Like, I, I have to always return to that and ask that question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking your time out to you're welcome. talk with me. I know you're super busy. I'm honored that you're here with me. And, it's an honor to be asked. Well, thank you. And um, yeah, good luck with everything. Thanks. <laughs> thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for listening to What a World Podcast. I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. I want to invite you now to share, comment, rate, follow, all that good stuff that helps me out tremendously. You can even go to whataworldpodcast.com and donate to help keep What A World Podcast and blog up and running. Any help is appreciated, even if it's a kind word or criticism. I appreciate the time you've given me today, and it is a blessing to be able to do this at all. 
Have a great day, and you will be hearing from me next week. Thank you.